Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Friday, July 7th. Here's what's driving the day. First, why hasn't Speaker Kevin McCarthy endorsed former President Trump, his political pal, and the overwhelming frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination? That's a question a lot of people are asking, and Sarah Ferris and Olivia Beavers dig into the competing pressures on McCarthy that help explain his decision. The big takeaway? McCarthy's trying to prevent the House GOP from descending into a civil war over 2024. Read the full article over at Politico.com. Next up, this weekend, President Joe Biden is headed to Europe. His first stop, the UK. Biden is scheduled to meet with both King Charles and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. On the agenda for these meetings, climate change, the war in Ukraine, and a host of economic and security issues. On the Deep Dive podcast today, we talked to British Ambassador to the U.S., Karen Pierce, about what Sunak hopes to get out of Biden's trip to London, Britain and America's changing relationship through her many years of diplomatic service, and how the war in Ukraine is driving our two countries closer, and occasionally further apart. Check out the newsletter this morning for key excerpts from that fascinating interview. And joining me now to discuss the NATO summit portion of Biden's trip is national security reporter Alex Ward. Alex was a Pulitzer Prize finalist and the author of the forthcoming book, The Internationalists, The Fight to Restore American Foreign Policy After Trump. Good morning, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. First time I've had anyone introduce me with the book, so that's very exciting. Thank you very much for doing that. Well, you've got a lot of fancy stuff on your resume these days, sir. What are some of the the big things we should be looking for out of Biden's trip to Europe? There was sort of this belief heading into Vilnius, Lithuania, where the summit will be next week, that it was going to be, as I've been calling it, like the Pope Ratzinger summit, like sort of a transitionary type meeting, right, that the Ukraine's counteroffensive had just sort of begun. It's unclear how far they're going to go, if they're going to be successful. And so at this summit, it was just going to be a reiteration of, yes, the allies back Ukraine. We will continue to oppose Russia, and we'll see how this all looks a year from now, the 75th anniversary of NATO, which will be in Washington. Next year, next summer. Correct, next summer, yeah. So, you know, fewer miles for me to gain next year. (laughs) Then, with the Wagner mutiny and the fact that the counteroffensive is very publicly stalled, I mean, to the point that even Volodymyr Zelensky himself is admitting so, now there seems to be a bit more urgency heading into the Vilnius summit. So what are the things we're looking for? Well, one of the things will be what kind of security package the allies will give to Ukraine. Does this lead to an announcement of an F-16 fighter jet training program or some sort of timetable on their delivery to Ukraine? Is there going to be any new weapons considered for Ukraine, including attack of long-range missiles, which the Biden administration has been opposing for quite some time. Relatedly, but separately, will there be security guarantees, quote-unquote, given to Ukraine, meaning that allies, say the U.S., France, Germany, etc., will be giving Ukraine this notion of we'll continue to give you weapons even if the war is over, we'll continue to support you even if the war ends, so Russia will have to think twice or three times before maybe reattempting an invasion like this. And the last bit is, well, what is Ukraine's relationship to Ukraine? Is it going to be a country that is inching closer to becoming a NATO member? Or is it going to be a country that's going to be given a clear pathway to membership? Or I guess I should also say, will it be stuck where it is right now, or basically has been since 2008, 
where NATO keeps basically dangling a carrot saying, oh, yeah, 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 no, just do democratic reforms and, like, be better, and we will let you win at some point. The last part is so important, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a bit of tension, I imagine, between that question and where you are on that spectrum and where you see the diplomatic track eventually headed and concluding. In other words, the closer we push Ukraine towards membership in NATO, perhaps the more difficult a resolution to the war might be. Just break that down for me. So on the membership question, the biggest issue here has been whether basically to tell Ukraine, you are definitely going to be a member of the alliance. Now, the U.S. and many allies have signaled it ain't happening at Vilnius for one clear reason. That is, there are Russians still in Ukraine. And the last thing you really want to do is allow someone in to the alliance, which has an Article 5 uh, <laughs> right. Right, def- right. D- defense, right. uh, defense guarantee, in which case you've basically just signed up all NATO allies to war to come to Ukraine's defense. So the debate has been over basically what kind of promises do we make to Ukraine? You've got the Ukrainians basically saying, let us in now. You've got Eastern Europeans making that case as well. You've got Central Europeans sort of on the fence, and you've got Western Europeans who are much further away from the action being like, eh, you know, we don't really need to go too far here. Got it. And the Biden administration is, and I should say President Joe Biden specifically, is very focused on having the allies move in lockstep. So basically lowest common denominator. And if at this point all the allies cannot get on board, well, they're going to find some sort of compromise solution. It seems like what they found heading into Vilnius is removing what they call a membership action plan, a map. I'm going to very much shorten this NATO nerddom, but basically speaking, a map is a set of things to check off the list in order to join the alliance, democratic reforms, military reforms, etc. For example, Finland, who just joined NATO, didn't need one, right? But North Macedonia took years to bat through its map before recently joining. So one thing that they're considering is, okay, Ukraine, you don't need a map. Whenever we all think you're ready, you'll join. You don't need to jump through many bureaucratic hoops. So that's one way forward. Many people would argue that is Ukraine inching towards membership. Ukraine would argue you basically just promised us the same thing you did in 2008, which is you'll hear this if you follow the NATO summit. It's called the Bucharest uh, Memorandum. Simply put, the allies basically said, yes, you, Ukraine and Georgia, the country, will become members at some point. But like, we'll figure that out when the time comes. So if you're in Kiev, you're going, okay, great, you remove the map. It's one less hurdle you have to move through. But we're really no closer to being allies. and You're not telling us how to be that. So this is the diplomacy happening behind the scenes as we head to the summit next week. That's excellent. It's a very clear breakdown. Alex, thank you very much for your insights. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening.